Howdy folks, and thanks for tuning in to the 22nd episode of Rediscover the Winds, a Wyoming history podcast. I'm Zach Larson from the Riverton Museum. Uh, Normally Kirsten from the Dubois Museum is also here, but she is out today. So the purpose of this podcast is that we use artifacts from our three county museums, interviews with experts, and a lot of other research, and we're here to discover, and in some cases rediscover, the quirky, the heart-wrenching, and the fascinating stories of Fremont County, Wyoming, and the American West. As always, this episode is brought to you by Mick Pryor, a financial advisor with Edward Jones. Whether you're planning for retirement, saving for college, or for children or grandchildren, or just trying to protect the financial future of the ones you care about most, work with Mick to develop specific strategies to help you achieve your goals. He can also help monitor your progress and make sure you stay on track and determine if any adjustments need to be made. So call or stop in today and make sure to tell him that you heard about him on our show. So last month, we released six episodes with seven amazing guests that we met at the National Association of Interpreters Conference in Denver. Topics range from birds to fungus, from outdoor education for young children to preserving the Galapagos Islands, from making outdoor spaces more accessible to preserving archaeological artifacts. If you haven't heard those episodes yet, be sure to give them a listen. In this episode, we are joined once again by Randy Wise of the Fremont County Pioneer Museum in Lander. He's going to update us on some of the Pioneer Museum's newer and must-see exhibits, uh, specifically highlighting our region's Native American history. So let's jump right in and let's just have Randy kind of give us a quick update. Okay, Zach, thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. So our uh, kind of our big exhibit uh, that's been going on for about a year now and will continue on into the new year is a collection of about 100 pieces of Native American ledger art, or ledger drawing is often the term that's used. And it's a really uh, interesting exhibit in all kinds of ways, but primarily because it's never been seen by the public before. Uh, This is a private collection. Uh, Lander Gentleman has been collecting these pieces for decades now, and approached the museum about two years ago and said, you know, I've got this work and nobody ever has seen it besides me and the original artist, obviously, Uh, would you be interested? And we were thrilled because, you know, one of our major uh, thrusts at the museum is Native American history. There is so much of it around Fremont Mm -hmm. County. And uh, so we were really interested in uh, getting a look at this. And I've got to be honest, I didn't know an enormous about, about it when I started the project. I'd heard of Ledger Art, kind of had a basic knowledge of it, but I really didn't know the intricacies and the really interesting history behind it. So we really were thrilled to get the opportunity to uh, put these pieces on exhibit. And like I say, we opened about about a year ago. Uh, and uh, we kind of, actually the collection itself is about 150 pieces. We picked the 100 or so that we thought were, yeah. you know, the most interesting uh, for us. Uh, and it's uh, it ranges from uh, the 1860s all the way to the 1930s. Uh, lots of different plains tribes. We don't have an enormous number of pieces with the uh, local tribes. Uh, we have a, a cup, an Arapaho piece, uh, no Shoshone pieces, uh, but we do have Crow, Lakota, Cheyenne, Ogallala, uh, Kiowa, and all of those tribes are part of Wyoming's history, if not right. necessarily Fremont County's history, although the, the Lakota we're certainly in this area. So, the, and it's again, you know, as the as you kind of go through the collection, you see a wide variety of topics. Each of these pieces were created by an individual artist, and we have the names of some of them. We know uh, several of the artists. Running Antelope is one, uh, and we've got a number of his pieces. Uh, Yellow Bear is another artist, but many of them we don't know 
who created them, we can make a pretty educated guess on the tribe because of the way the people are portrayed, the, right. their clothing, their hairstyles, things like that. Uh, but uh, they all are interesting, and they, they range from scenes of uh, domestic life in camp to very graphic battle scenes uh, hmm. and just about everything in between. And we have one whole section that's uh, fascinating because it's ceremonial images. So images of pipe dances, uh, <clears throat> other ceremonies that different tribes would do. And that's a really interesting uh, view into Native American culture. And it's a view you don't often see, yeah. particularly from that era. Yeah, so it's a, it's a quite it's quite a collection. Uh, most of them are drawn uh, on ledgers, and so that hence the name ledger art. Mm-hmm. So ledger art kind of came into being mm-hmm. roughly in the mid eighteen hundreds, and it's a transitional art basically because prior to that, Native Americans had a very rich uh, art uh, interest, primarily with petroglyphs but also with uh, painting or drawing on hides. So they would do the winter counts. Most tribes in this area did a winter count on a bison hide, or they would paint their war shirts. Mm -hmm. Teepees were often used as uh, canvases. Uh, And as the world began to change with the encroachment of the white population into this area, a lot of those traditional venues, so to speak, were lost, uh, particularly the hides. Uh, once the Native Americans were uh, put on reservations, hides became very hard to get. Yeah. And so they actually wanted to continue this artistic expression, and they picked up quickly on the fact that white people had paper and pencils and paint, and they started basically recycling old ledgers. So if the military had a ledger listing you know, provisions or whatever, or a merchant had a ledger, once the white person was done with it, they generally just threw them away. They had no need for them anymore. The Native Americans would g- gather them up and either use the backside of pages, or if there was writing on both sides, they often would just paint or draw right over hmm. whatever was written. So you actually have layers of history, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. You have the list of the regiment and, and its supplies for a certain company in you know central Wyoming, and then on top of that, you have a battle scene hmm. from the Native American perspective. So there's it's kind of cool to... Uh, see that layer of those layers of history yeah. and uh, so ledger art really accelerated once the reservation system came into place and you started seeing uh, hides basically going away completely and ledger art becoming a major way of expressing themselves and uh, it's interesting because some of it is very well all of it is very personal mm-hmm. you know they didn't draw at least initially they didn't draw these things to sell or to even be seen by very many people other than perhaps the artist and maybe his immediate family. Right. So that's a unique way because most of the time when we think of artists, we think of them, well, they're creating this to be gotten out there so other mm-hmm. people can see it. And that did start to happen later on with ledger art. But at the beginning, it was very much about, I want to record this part of my life, uh, or I want to remember this, or I want to portray something that happened to me. They're all very personal and very one-of-a-kind pieces of art. And that I find that very interesting, yeah. that it's a f- slice of this person's experience or experiences uh, that 
happened or maybe he wanted it to happen. Uh, and, uh, and again, it was very, very limited distribution, so to speak, for, for that piece of work. Now, as time went on and we get into the uh, 20th century, we start seeing this being produced for sale. Mm-hmm. And that is a change because white people were like, well, we'd like to have some of that. And so the Native Americans were like, well, yeah, we can do that. And they started actually creating some of it to be sold to oftentimes military people because they were mm-hmm. the most common people around, uh, you know, the different forts and the different soldiers and officers. Uh, and they would buy the pieces. Uh, and... Uh, so, so there is a change, and, and that change continued on. Now, it's still a one person's vision and one person's right. art. And again, oftentimes, it's about something specific in their life. Uh, but again, we do see that transition to a different s- sort of market, so to speak. So I guess, especially in the early years, a lot of it was driven simply by the fact that, you know, a lot of these new reservation inhabitants probably didn't have a, a strong command of written English, or, or if they did, that wasn't their preferred method of, of, I guess, expression. So it's a lot like you're you're looking at somebody's diary pages. That's it, it, a really good way to put it. Um, most of these uh, seem to have been created to capture a, a moment in time in that person's life. And again, if it, and a lot of times, especially the early stuff, you see a lot of battles mm-hmm. because most of the ledger art, not all of it, but most of it was done by males. Right. Uh, the women in the tribes express themselves through beadwork primarily. Mm. Uh, and, you know, if you've ever seen any Native American beadwork, it's spectacular. I mean, it's art in its own yeah. right. But the men, typically, it seems, were the visual artists as far as drawing. So most petroglyphs were created by males. Most uh, hide paintings and uh, paintings on other artifacts were done by males, and then certainly most of the ledger art was. Now, there are a couple of exceptions, and we do have at the museum in our exhibit uh, an, ex- an example of uh, a Native American artist who is a woman, and her portrayal of things is very different. Hmm. It's uh, very much female-oriented about a uh, life uh, of a woman in camp doing uh, domestic things, very different from the battle scenes and the <laughs> and the horses. Horses are a very common topic. Right. But again, that's a m- crucial part of those people's lives was the horse, bison as well. We see a lot of bison imagery in these in these pieces of work. Um, so uh, so again, a diary is a good way to put it. I want to remember this, mm-hmm. or perhaps share it with my kids or my grandkids or something like that. Um, you know, so things that were important to those people, whether it's a battle or a horse or uh, meeting another Native American leader. There are a couple of really striking images of, of uh, tribal leaders meeting. And it clearly was, it was like, be like us taking a picture of the president meeting some foreign dignitary. I yeah. think this was the same thing. I met that person and th- this is what we wore mm-hmm. and it was that's a significant thing in my life or our lives as the case may be. Hmm. That's really fascinating. Yeah, there's a it, you know if if you look through the exhibit and we have people that come back multiple times because it's a lot to take in in one right. in one viewing. Uh, there's a lot of art, a lot of images uh, and and the detail is even to even now after having seen it for a year, I still look at it and go, oh, I never noticed that before. You know, there's just little th- details in some of these drawings that are very unique. I've had a number of uh, 
actually quite a few Native Americans come to the exhibit, and uh, they can often point out things that are culturally significant to them that hmm. I wouldn't necessarily know about. Yeah, I had a Lakota gentleman in oh, a few months ago who pointed out to me that I, he, he could tell which horses were Lakota. And I said, how? And he said, because of the bridle. Hmm. The Lakotas have a very different bridle on their horses than this paint, this drawing over here. That's a Cheyenne bridle. And I was huh. like, oh, well, and so he explained the differences to me, which was really interesting. I wouldn't yeah. have known that. But someone from that culture, you know, would. And right. that's pretty cool to sort of get that second level of sort of yeah. interpretation. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, how much longer are you you having this exhibit up? The exhibit will be up at least through March. At this point, we are currently working on bringing in another another big art exhibit, um, a, another Native American themed art exhibit. But we're still working on all the logistics. It's a mm. it's a it's a logistic. Uh, conundrum so to speak but so we're going to keep this exhibit up until that next one comes okay. in and at this point like say at least through march um and to be honest i think uh, we're going to keep some of it up all the time okay. um you know we again we can't keep all 100 pieces up right because we just don't have the space to have those up but we're going to keep a ledger art section in the museum yeah. because it's on long-term loan to us uh, and, you know, as long as we've got it, we'd like to at least have a, an area that's dedicated right. to it. And that'll allow us to rotate things in and out and maybe get some of the other pieces that we never exhibited the first time mm -hmm. around out. Because, like I say, we have other pieces. Uh, we just didn't have a space for them. So we'll be able to maybe rotate in some things that yeah. folks haven't seen before. Yeah, Ledger Art 2, the sequel. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Or 2 or 3, maybe 4. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, it's a really unique uh, unique exhibit. And like I say, we're lucky because, again, it's not something that anybody's ever seen before. Mm -hmm. There's Ledger Art out there in other museums, and, that's, and there's some beautiful stuff. But this collection had never been seen by the public before. And yeah. it was a real uh, big deal for us to be able to present that to folks. Yeah, so. absolutely, and and I I, I wonder if, if there are visitors out there of ours that that have never seen Ledger Art. And I, it's just really a a fascinating and interesting um, art form. It 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 it's a unique, I guess, time period when you've got, you know, a, a culture that's well, two cultures that are that are mixing and really trying to figure out what the future holds for both of them, and and uh, some cultural adaptation going on, and and also. In that very cultural adaptation, you've got depictions of cultural conflict and, and all sorts of really, well, like you said, it's very multi-layered uh, form of artwork. Yeah, it's interesting to see some of the images because, and, and you can also kind of date them in some ways because, you know, some of them have guns in them. Okay, well, that gives us an automatic mm -hmm. sort of time frame, even if we don't know the artist or much of the history. There's one with the train in it. It's like, wow. wow, okay, okay, we know that, that that had to be, you know, at least in Wyoming, 18, what, 60, 66 or later. Right. Um, and clearly it was made an impression on the artist because mm -hmm. he really made a, you know, there's this big smoking steam engine. And, yeah. you know, and it's interesting too because all of the, you know, we have multiple pieces by some artists, but we have, I'll bet there's probably 50 different artists represented. Mm. And they're all unique you know they all have their own style and you after a while you can go oh okay that's a yellow bear i can tell that mm -hmm. and this is this guy i don't know his name but i can see his work in this other piece 
the other thing I want to mention, and I, which I think is really interesting, is ledger art is kind of a thing again. Uh, a lot of Native American artists have revisited this, have mm. come back to this, and they're doing contemporary ledger art. Uh, there's a couple of Fremont County artists who are doing it, and it's pretty fascinating because they're using modern vocabulary. So you see cars, and yeah. you see highways, and you know neon signs and things like that, along with a lot of Native American imagery as well. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly a contemporary piece. Um, and I've ha- again, I've had several uh, artists who are working in ledger art today come in to look at the exhibit to yeah. sort of you know see what happened in the past and how it influences their work today. And that's pretty cool too, to, you know, be able to, you know, realize that it's a, it kind of had died out for a long time, but now it's kind of a a comeback and become Mm. quite actually quite popular with some native American artists. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess the the second thing that I kind of wanted you to briefly talk about was you, that you recently reopened the Washakie gallery. Mm -hmm. It's got some really amazing stuff in it. Yeah. So so the, Washakie Gallery uh, is uh, upstairs in the museum, and it's a big room full of uh, Shoshone artifacts, uh, Chief Washakie being the longtime leader of the Shoshone people in this area. But the main feature of the room are the uh, 23 J.K. Ralston paintings about the life of Chief Washakie. Mm. Uh, a few years ago, we were approached by the owner of the paintings. She wanted to find a home for them in someplace, hopefully in Fremont County. And they have a long Lander history. They were created in Lander uh, about Chief Washakie, who lived in the Wind River Basin most of his life. Um, Very significant person. I think, in my opinion, the most significant Wyomingite. That's my personal opinion, but I think there are a lot of people that would agree with that. you know, Buffalo Bill has a claim, but he wasn't from here. You know, yeah. Washakie was, um, and uh, and lived his whole life and 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 uh, died here and is uh, buried here uh, in Fremont County. Um, so J.K. Ralston was a Montana artist in the '40s, who uh, right at the beginning of his career he went on to become one of the leading Western artists. But early in his career, he was uh, commissioned by Harold Del Monte, who owned the Noble Hotel which is still standing in Lander, a big hotel building, Del Monte wanted to present to his guests the history of the West, and he felt that Washakie's life was emblematic of much of what happened in the West. So he commissioned Ralston to paint these paintings, and Ralston came down from Montana, stayed at the Noble Hotel, went out and visited many of the locations he painted, talked to Shoshone people, including uh, relatives of Chief Washakie. He really wanted to make it as accurate a portrayal as possible and created these 23 paintings, uh, oil paintings, which hung in the Noble Hotel for decades. And a lot of people in Lander still remember them in the hotel. And I, I get people coming in all the time are like, oh yeah, I remember when they were in, mm-hmm. the, in the hotel. And then when the hotel closed, the paintings basically went into storage and kind of just vanished off the off the radar, so to speak, for decades again, until uh, the owner approached us with this idea that maybe we would want to exhibit them and show people. And we thought, at that point, we weren't even thinking about buying them. We were just, oh, it would be cool to bring these paintings back and, and have an exhibit. And so we had them up for a year uh, on loan. And then the owner was very pleased with what had happened and how we were, you know, presenting the 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 art. And she said, you know, would I'd love to have these stay here permanently. Unfortunately, she couldn't just give them to us, so we set out then on a 
uh, campaign to raise the money we needed, and it it actually took much less time than I mm. anticipated. We we raised the money in about two years, which I was expecting about double that, to be yeah. honest. So the community really came out in force to donate money to keep these paintings here. Because the risk was that, you know, J.K. Ralston's paintings are worth a lot of money. And the risk was somebody in Dallas or mm-hmm. <laughs> whoever was going to get a hold of them, and then they'd leave Wyoming and never be seen right. ever again by, you know, folks in Wyoming. So... We were really thrilled to be able to uh, do what we needed to do to keep them here in their home. And and they're on permanent display. They'll be on display, and pe- folks can come and see them. We are in the middle of doing some uh, restoration work on some of them, um, mostly which involves cleaning because, again, they were in a hotel for a long time, yeah. and then they were in an attic for a yeah. long time after that. Uh, so occasionally there will be a piece that's down while we're working on it, but... Uh, it, uh, the idea is we'll get them all cleaned up and reframed and on display. Uh, right now, 22 of them are on display. There's one that <clears throat> we're working on. Um, but uh, it's a really cool collection. Really neat example of uh, art, because Ralston is a f- wonderful artist, mm-hmm. but also history, because, again, he covers Chief Washakie's roughly 100 years of his life from the time he was born, where there were no white people anywhere around to the point where he was actually given a military burial because he was mm. such a friend of the U.S. and the U.S. military yeah. um, and everything in between. So you see this very unique story being told of this, again, transition from Native American people having this country all to themselves to the coming of the white people and then the changeover to the reservation and then finally the the end uh, of Chief Washakie. So it's cool, cool exhibit. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's definitely worth anybody's time to go see especially if you haven't been there yet but i think it it merits several visits just like the the ledger art exhibit to just kind of take it all in so yeah it's it, there's again 20 you know 23 paintings there and they're big paintings they're not small <laughs> and, and there's just again layers and layers of detail in those paintings that you can spend a lot of time looking at them and go oh i've never noticed that uh, you know the thing i find really cool about him is uh, if you know this area you can recognize the landmarks i mean yeah. clearly ralston went to Crowhart Butte, and mm-hmm. he clearly went to con- the South Pass area. Because if you know the terrain, you can recognize features in those paintings mm-hmm. and go, oh, I know where that was painted. You know, that's Continental Peak. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's and that's really neat that he really took the time. He didn't just throw something together. He really did his research and uh, and and wanted to put, do an accurate portrayal of the, not just Chief Washakie and his, you know, uh, appearance and clothing but also where he was from Mm -hmm. so well all right i think that's uh i don't know if you have any closing um well again you know uh, all three county museums have really cool native american displays lots of great stuff we know uh we've got some spectacular beadwork in addition to the ledger art and the washiki paintings um and uh, I highly encourage folks, if you haven't been to the museums lately, things are always changing. We've yeah. got new exhibits that come in all the time. Uh, we just opened a, a new World War II exhibit and an exhibit on the uh, Grange societies, which were very big in this area. And there's always new stuff coming down the pike. So if you yeah. haven't been in, come and check it out. And again, not just Lander, all three county museums. Right. I know that all three of us will be getting a really interesting traveling exhibit that will have more details in a future episode about so that's i'm just always lots and lots of neat stuff coming up 
All right. We'd like to thank Randy for coming in um, on this episode of our show. And we'd like to thank our listeners for listening through this 22nd episode of Rediscover the Winds, a Wyoming history podcast. That means that if you're new to this show, you have 21 more episodes to catch up on. Uh, we've got a lot more episodes planned for you guys. Next month is next year, which is also next decade. In other words, 2020 is a census year. And in our next episode of Rediscover the Winds, we'll be looking at census years of the past and dissecting some of the surprising information that can be pulled out of census data. Um, we'll also look at some of the pitfalls of a 10-year census and how a big state with a small population, and especially one that's prone to boom and bust population cycles, kind of makes, uh, makes censuses a little bit of a headache. Um, censuses can tell us a lot about who's lived in the cowboy state, who lives in the cowboy state, but it also leaves out a lot. We're going to be talking all about that in January. If you like what you heard today, like us on Facebook at Rediscover the Winds. You can also catch uh, episodes of our podcast and a lot of other content on our YouTube page. Make sure that you're also following all of the Museum System Facebook pages um, and, and other social media accounts. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do so wherever podcasts are found. And if you already do follow us on our various platforms, thanks. Your, world, your support means the world to us. We hope that you guys get the chance to visit our museums and attend some of our upcoming events. Uh, with the new decade just days away, we're getting next year's events ready, and we'll have some really great events coming up in 2020. And we've got some stuff already coming up in the Wyoming Community Bank-sponsored Discovery Speaker Series in January on the 16th at the Riverton Museum. Our retired Riverton police officer, Bart Ringer, is going to be talking about his uh, recently published book called Routine Patrol, Memoirs of a Small-Town Cop. Uh, Bart is a super neat guy. Um, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet in your life, and uh, I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this this show um, have fond recollections of him. He'll be talking about some of the quirky and zany and interesting and spooky things that he had during his career as a, an officer in Riverton. Uh, that event is at 6.30 again on January 16th, and it is free and open to the public. On January 23rd at the Dubois Museum, Todd Gunther of CWC will be presenting a summary of five years of high-elevation archaeological reconnaissance in the Dinwoody area that he's been doing with his students. He talked to us at the Riverton Museum last year, and it was a, it was a great, worthwhile program, so make sure to check that out. And then also mark your calendars for February 14th. If you've got Valentine's Day plans or Single Awareness Day plans, whatever the case may be in your personal life, um, ditch them, find, you know, do something else. And specifically something else that I'm talking about is our Riverton Museum's annual murder mystery event. This year we're going back to this, a seedy speakeasy called the Juice Joint. This is a great whodunit that has dirty cops, corrupt politicians, mobsters, and a ton of fun. Uh, this is not going to be a night that you're going to forget soon. Uh, tickets and character packets are available now. Call or stop by the Riverton Museum to pick those up. And that event, again, is on Valentine's Day evening. So really a unique Valentine's Day date. So uh, make sure you get on that. Uh, we'd once again like to thank Randy and his work at the Pioneer Museum in Lander. And we're also grateful to you listeners for listening to this Wyoming History Podcast. Uh, I'm Zach from the Riverton Museum, and we look forward to continuing this adventure to rediscover the winds with you next time. Our music for this episode comes from the 1976 Wyoming Old Time Fiddle Contest in Shoshone, Wyoming.